before we just look at God's word together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshipping you and Lord, being together. And Lord, it's, it's just good to be here. I love Sunday mornings. Lord, it's brilliant to be a family and, and meet with each other. Lord, we're all so different. Yeah, we have that unity, Lord, in you. And Father God, we really pray this morning that you would increase our unity, Lord, as a church. Increase our brotherly and sisterly love and our affection for each other. And Lord, increase our faith in you at the same time we ask it. Lord, may we be people that perceive your son Jesus as the King of Kings all the time, not just at special occasions. Lord, may we leave this place determined to be louder than the crowd, Lord, more obedient um, than the owners of that donkey, Lord, and more prepared to lay everything at his feet and be true disciples of the King of Kings. But Lord, just open our hearts now as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I should just quickly say before I do anything else, um, the 24-hour prayer, sorry, George has just reminded me, um, it, the final hour um, from 9 till 10 is going to be everyone together. So we're going to be in the other building, that's right, isn't it? So in the other building. Um, so select a slot across the 24 hours, be brilliant if you can. But the final hour is uh, we invite as many people that, that can fit in <laughs> just to come together. We're going to really ask God to bless the Easter weekend. So that's 9 till 10 on Good Friday, but please sign up for an hour at some point, but the sheet's in the other, the other hall. Um, the event was, uh, was special. The event was years in the making. The fanfare at the beginning of this event, particular event was intense. As the countdown reached zero, everything that happened that day was dripping with intent and significance. However, as many, many people cheered in celebration... There were some people that were indifferent. Some people's reactions were mixed. Some people even jeered. What am I talking about? (laughs) Obviously the opening of the new Tottenham Stadium. There was a a great sense of fanfare in North London, in parts of North London. (laughs) Um, Some of you are here not by accident this morning, I believe. It's important for me to take the mickey out of you from the front. Um, the only reason I mention that, please don't walk out and protest, I'm not suggesting that the opening of the, new, the, the best stadium on the planet um, is any, anywhere com- comparable to the triumphal entry we're looking at this morning. But what was interesting is that as Tottenham revealed their new stadium, the hearts of many people were clear as well. Many of us celebrated with jubilation, of course. Some people were indifferent, bizarrely. And there were some that jeered, and jeered their way they did, out of jealousy and uh, terrible human emotions. Sorry, Pete and, uh, and uh, Gemma and Harry. Anyway, but it reminded me, as I looked at that, that actually big moments... Probably better take that off, actually. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll throw something at me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, the big moments, big events, big announcements actually uh, do a number of things, don't they? They reveal the intentions of the people doing the announcing. When you have a big announcement, you're saying to the world, this is what we stand for, this is who we are. It reveals the hearts of the people behind it. And not only mention the last mention of football, I promise, but the announcement of that building of that stadium was an announcement to world football. Tottenham want to play in a different league, a much higher league, uh, the Champions League. Sorry, I should explain what that is to some of my Arsenal-supporting friends. Big moments reveal intentions and significance they reveal where a a group of people a person is intending to go and as big moments happen uh actually the the hearts of people that listen are revealed at the same time 
and that our building project, should we continue uh, voting away in favour of it, will be exactly the same. It will be an announcement to our town and to heaven itself that this church is going nowhere, that it intends to serve the poor and preach the gospel for generations and generations and generations. Big moments, thank you, big moments reveal intentions and they also reveal hearts. And Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry, as Christine said at the correct volume, um, is internally more significant than the opening of any old stadium or the building of any old building. But that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey was a significant moment, revealing his intentions, his message, his mission. But as he entered Jerusalem, it revealed the hearts of many, many people. And even now, 2,000 years later, Palm Sunday reveals the hearts of everybody who sees Jesus Christ on this donkey. And so, uh, as I've sort of been thinking about it, we've, we've read Matthew 21. Um, I don't think I'll read it again because I'm going to read various bits of it uh, for the next few minutes. But can you imagine what it must have felt like to be outside that wonderful, majestic city of Jerusalem, which of course um, isn't really there anymore. We've got one wall and that's about it. But you imagine being outside watching this, this quite well-known guy who's got this reputation of raising the dead and healing the sick and, and hordes of people are quite excited that he might be someone that's going to change the political landscape. They're thinking all sorts of unusual, wild and crazy thoughts. So here he is, this guy's really special. And he comes down on a donkey. And you imagine, and you see all this crowd whipped up into a frenzy and they're taking their tops off and throwing them on the floor and cutting down branches. It's loud and it's smelly and it's dusty. And I wonder what it would have been like to have been there. And Because we're very calm in Britain, aren't we? In the West, particularly, very calm. And we would have had it all tarmacked. It had been very organized, remember, stewards. But it wasn't like that when Jesus entered Jerusalem. So I've just got one minute of Jesus of Nazareth, which might give a slight hint as to what it was like. this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a prophet. A great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey? Just a just a bit of a a bit of a hint at what it may well have felt like um, on that day. All those years ago, you can imagine you can imagine the dust and the sounds, everyone part barging into each other. And, and I wonder what it would have been like to be there. What we would have been like if we'd been there? Would we have joined in? Would we have just thrown uh, caution to the wind and sensibility and just let ourselves go and worship Jesus? I don't know. Uh, but this is a significant day, Palm Sunday. It's the start of Passion Week, of course, and it's sobering thought, isn't it? How different Friday will be. How loud Palm Sunday is, but how different will Friday be as Jesus is nailed to a cross at the cries of crucify? How he's uh, robbed of a fair trial and nailed to a cross 
friendless, alone, isolated, betrayed by his dearest friends. How different it will be in just a few days. But this is the most significant of days. This is a day of prophecy being fulfilled. Zechariah 9, most of you will know this, but it's good to be reminded. Zechariah, a prophet in the Old Testament, given these words to give to God's people, a hope that was recognized not just for them four, five, six hundred years before Jesus, but to be recognized as messianic, a promise of a greater deliverer. And Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit and return your fortress. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I will announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling Sorry. Sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be filled like a bowl used to sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sprinkle in his land. Oh dear, sorry. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful will they be? Grain will make the young men thrive and new, ma- new wine the young women. And that prophecy in Zechariah 9 was given to God's people who were uh, oppressed in exile, in trouble. And God promised them one day someone's going to come and this person's going to set you free from your enemies. And those people, when they read that prophecy all those hundreds of years before, would have immediately understood it to mean actual enemies, actual oppressors, which God did. But that promise also had a kind of a longer term fulfillment to go, that one day God was going to send someone else, someone more majestic, a true king, an everlasting king. Right from Psalm 2, there was this promise of God's anointed king. He was going to come from heaven and deliver his people from their oppressors and from their enemies. And so as Jesus gets on that donkey, no wonder they got excited because they probably looked at Jerusalem, oppressed and overtaken by Rome with their giant empire and all of their anger. And they would have looked at that and thought, well, this is our new enemy. Here comes one who can raise the dead, who can walk on water, who heals the sick. Surely he is the one who is going to drive them out, our our enemies. But as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes to fulfill those words I've just read, but not against the Romans, because even the Romans are his to deliver as well. He comes to fight against a different enemy, a common enemy of all men and women, enemies of death and darkness the enemy of evil and guilt. He comes to set us free from the very common things that are common to every single man, woman, and child, whether you be an Israelite or a Roman. He didn't come to build a nation. He came to save a world. And as he rides to Jerusalem, he rides on a donkey, a picture of humility. The animal for war is a horse, but Jesus rides in on a donkey. He rides for peace, a conquering king. 
And the Bible says that the peace Jesus comes to give is a peace that passes understanding. He doesn't give as the world gives. He gives a peace that is so deep that even if your whole world crumbles, you can know the peace of God if you cling to him and cling you must. And maybe this morning, that's the only thing you need to hear, that the peace of Jesus Christ is bigger and more powerful than even the worst situation you may find yourself in today. Because his peace passes situations and understandings and boundaries and age and illness and everything you might possibly go through. Go to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He entered Jerusalem already a conqueror. And then he gave his life. But as he entered Jerusalem, he was announcing to those people that he was the one promised in Zechariah 9, that he was their long-awaited king and Messiah. No wonder they cheered. No wonder they got excited. Because of course, at last, God has sent his Messiah. But like so many other people, the people in this city, even his own disciples, misunderstood what kind of saviour Jesus was. He didn't come to do what we want. He came to do what we need, to give his life in our place. And so Palm Sunday is very much a statement by Jesus Christ. It was a statement on three levels. He was saying something. He was stating something about himself. It was a statement of intent that he was the king of kings, that he was the king of Israel. He was their long-awaited, anointed king. And he was entering his city. This wasn't just a city. This was his city. He's the king of it. He's the king of Israel. And he was going to enter that city to free the broken, to rescue the lost and the captive. To fulfill the words of Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, which are so wonderful. I ought to read them to you. It would be quite wrong if I didn't. But Luke chapter 4, verse, let's say, it's written down here, 18 to 19. Jesus quotes these words from the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He enters Jerusalem to do all of those things. As well as that, however, he does come to see what sort of faith his people have. If you remember, as Jesus gets ready to go into Jerusalem, he passes a fig tree that gives him no figs and he curses it and it dies. And that's recognised as being a an analogy of Jerusalem. He's about to enter Jerusalem to see his people. What sort of faith are his people going to have as the king returns home, if you like, returns to his city? Will his people be faithful? Will they be a people full of passion and joy and grace? Will they be like the God who they've worshipped since birth? Or will they be the very opposite? Will they be godly or godless? And Jesus is actually going to see his people and see what state their faith is. And I kind of think it's a picture of the second coming. Because Jesus is going to come back. And if he came back tomorrow, what would he find us doing? Would he find us faithful Christians? Would he come back and say, well done, well done, well done, well done? Or would we be thinking, if I only had one more week, if I knew you were coming back today, Lord, I'd have done it properly. Are we almost there? Are we totally there? Are we giving our whole lives to God and Jesus Christ this morning? Or are we just kind of half in, half out? If he came tomorrow, would you regret not being fully in? What needs to change? What needs to be different? If you're a Christian this morning, take that challenge. I do as well. He's coming to his world soon enough to see his people. So it's a statement of intent of what he's going to do. He's going to die on the cross, give his life for every single one of us. It's also a statement of his character. As he rides on that donkey, he comes, even though he's a king, even though it's loud, he's not entering Jerusalem for fame and fortune and for human power. 
He comes humbly. He comes to be the least. He comes to give his life for every single one of us. Soon he will be friendless and betrayed on a cross. And he knew that day, that day would come. And he is our model as well. If you're a Christian this morning, we are called to be last. We are called to be the forgettable. We are called to be the very least. We are called to be the people that are laden with things from others so they can be free. We're called called not to fight for our reputation, but for that of the King of Kings. It's a statement of his character. And thirdly, it's a statement of his position. There is no room for doubt as Jesus gets on that donkey. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's letting the world know that he is King, the King of Kings. And so the question for us this morning is, how do you respond to Jesus Christ on that donkey? Because it makes an eternal difference, believe me. But it also makes a massive difference now. On Thursday night, we had the privilege of having Wututu, a Ugandan children's choir. Anyone come? Anyone? Just give us a wave. Only a few of us. Okay. Um, it was a bit um, last minute that we were asked to host it. But they were brilliant. They were absolutely awesome. Um, and these little kids, I guess getting up to about maybe 11, 12, um, young as about three or four, I think, some of them. Six-month tour around Europe. I mean, I, I was tired after one night, frankly. Um, but they were brilliant. They sang their hearts out, they smiled away, and I was with them from half past ten, and then backwards and forwards, and I was there when they left at ten o'clock, and at one point, not at any point, were those kids anything other than just happy. And I thought there's something that they've got that so many of us miss, and it's Jesus Christ. That church, Wututu Church, with their child-rescuing arm, um, they were clear to make out, rescued those kids. And one boy, Maxwell, um, I think he's... Yeah, the guy, the guy with the microphone at the front with the flowery. They've all got flowery shirts on, but right at the very front. Um, it's like the, left, the girl with the blue dress to, to my left. Even him there. Anyway, and he came to the front and he gave his testimony. And uh, I think I'm remembering it correct in that he said he was uh, abandoned at a church and his parents had died. And he had nothing. He had no one. Well, Tutu, uh, he was taken there and he's put in one of their villages and he's been raised by a village mother, as they call them. And this boy, the thing he said, I spent the first half an hour crying, actually. I thought, hold it together, man, hold it together. And, uh, and, but he said, he said, my identity is in Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow. How many people have a rocky start to life? Their parents divorce or, or something terrible happens to them and they lose that sense of identity. How many of our young people have lost who they are and they're trying everything some to catastrophic consequences but he just says with that confidence my identity was in Christ and he meant every word trusting the Jesus on that donkey gives you the peace that Maxwell had and the peace that passes understanding and it makes a difference now not just when you pass away at the end of your life so how do we respond to Palm Sunday what do we do with this story of this Jesus on a donkey because it's so unusual it's so unusual within the New Testament as well Jesus isn't one for big public demonstrations he might heal someone but he often then goes to a different town he never sought this kind of attention so what should we do with this story well I think one thing we should do is lay our lives at the feet of this king in the same way they put their cloaks and their palm branches down I think figuratively We need to be saying to Jesus every day, here is my life, take it. Do whatever you want with it. And I promise you, if you make that your daily prayer, you will not regret it. Because God will take you out of your comfort zone. It's terrifying, I'm sure, but wonderful as well. Maybe for you this morning, that simply means asking him into your life for the first time. 
by acknowledging that you've lived without him and you're sorry for that and that you believe he's God's son and you want to have him as your Lord and saviour. But I think as well, I think we're supposed to compare ourselves. The interesting thing about this story is there's so many characters. Uh, it's like a soap opera. There's characters all over the place, aren't there? There's so many different characters. I mean, obviously you've got Jesus and the disciples, but we ignore the disciples because they're in everything. So we're going to put them to one side. But there are four other characters in the story of Palm Sunday that really stuck out to me this week. And I really think that we're meant to ask ourselves one question. Which of these four am I? Which of these four are you this Palm Sunday? So let's just go through them. The first we'll find in the, the account of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 11. And I'm just going to read verses 8 to 10. And this is the crowd themselves. And so it says this. Sorry, one page. So in verse 8, it says, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And I wonder, the crowd, let's start with them first of all, what were they like? Well, the first thing they were was extremely excited. I'm naturally drawn to the crowd. I want to be the crowd waving the palm branch and taking my, my cloak off and throwing it down, going, yeah! That's a kind of, I like that sort of thing. I like shouting and I like cheering if I, if I get the chance. But despite that initial passion of that crowd, it's interesting, isn't it? In just a few days' time, they're doing one of three things. They're either silent, as Jesus is hauled up before Pilate. They're either absent, because they've done a runner. It's all got very real. Or they've changed Hosanna to crucify. As Jesus is before Pilate, the crowd shout, crucify him. May it all be on us and our children's heads. They're doing one of three things. They're either shouting, kill him, when they shouted Hosanna. Or they're saying nothing because they've got their heads down thinking, I don't want to put my head above the parapet. Or they've just gone home and hoped it all blows over. This morning... When you first heard of Jesus Christ, was that initial tinge of excitement real? Did you think, well, this is good, I like this? Or maybe you first came to church, it was a particularly lively Sunday, and you thought, yeah, this is really, really good. And has that kind of initial excitement waned a bit? Have you gone quiet? Have you become absent? Have you thought there's something here? This Jesus is really special. Maybe you've even sung the songs and prayed the prayers, even done an event at church. But now you're thinking, it's all getting a bit real. And I'm not sure this is for me. Even though he is the king of kings and there's a part of you that knows it. Are you kind of thinking, I'm going to go home and hope it all blows over. Because I don't want to get too religious. Because they're always weird people. Um, You don't want to get too religious. But maybe you've got all those thoughts. Are you like the crowd this morning? Here is the king of kings. Will he react with passion once and then go off the boil like the power of the sower? What about the city? Over in uh, Matthew chapter 21, uh, as Christine read to us uh, a moment or two ago. Chapter 21 of Matthew, verses 10 to 11. As they're coming down, a crowd have shouted, Hosanna in the highest heaven. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. 
And uh, the, the people in the city, you've got two crowns. You've got the crown coming up towards the city and you've got the inhabitants of Jerusalem as well. And they kind of, I imagine them looking over the wall like that, thinking, well, it's like the curtains at home when you do that with the curtain because you don't want people to see you. And you're looking, what's that fuss outside? Ooh, maybe I'm just getting older. I'm starting to move the corner of the curtain like that because I think, what's, what, what are they doing outside my house at half past nine? Should be in bed like sensible people. But there's that intrigue. Oh, what is it? They even ask the right question. Who is this? That's the right question. They get the good answer. A good answer, not a perfect answer, but a good answer. It's a prophet from Nazareth. Oh. And then they say nothing else. This morning, is that you? You're a bit like the people in the city. You kind of see the commotion. Maybe you've done an alpha course or you've thought about it or you've watched a video or you came last Easter or whatever it might be. And there's that sense of intrigue. You've even asked the question, who is this? It was Jesus, God's son, who died and rose again for your sin. And you go back to life. Is that you this morning? Because he's still the king of kings. He's still the lord of lords. He still rose from the grave. Did you have that initial intrigue? And what have you done with it since? Is life so exciting that God's only son comes second? Have you asked the question but never ever really been bothered about having the answer? What about the Pharisees? In John chapter 12, um, verses 12 to 19... Uh, these are the villains of the piece, really. But um, John chapter nineteen, uh, John chapter twelve, sorry, um, twelve to nineteen. So the next day, the, gra- the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel!" Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, "Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt." At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to each other, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world... Has gone after him. Of all the people in this story that should have known exactly who was on the donkey, it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite. These were the ones who were the most religious. They knew the law of God. They were at the temple every day. They did all the things that religious people were supposed to do, yet when confronted with God's only son, their religion and the power that it gave them got in the way of a true faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' righteousness wound them up. And they had a negative reaction. Not long after this, they made concrete plans to have him put to death. Because they're so jealous that the crowds want him and not them. That they don't care that they kill the author of life on a cross. This morning, and whilst you're not like that, is there a bit of you that knows that there's a a resistance between you and Jesus? Whenever you hear about him dying for you on the cross, is there a part of you that gets a bit irritated when people say, why don't you become a Christian? Or why don't you take it more seriously? Does it wind you up a bit? Is there a kind of a rubbing together between your sin and your, your sort of self-centeredness, the bit of you that wants to live your way and God's righteousness? Is there a bit of you that keeps Jesus at arm's length? Who does he think he is telling me how to live my life? Are you a bit like that? Maybe in different words. Do you get cross when God moves? That's a problem if you do. That's a real problem if you don't celebrate moves of God. If you get irritated, if it irritates you and you don't know why, then maybe there's a, a bit of a clash between something in you and something wonderful in God. 
sort that out perhaps. But there's one more person uh, or one more group of characters in this story who I think go unmentioned every single Palm Sunday. And when we all meet together in heaven, I imagine they'll say to us, oh, I gave Jesus my best donkey, barely get a mention at Palm Sunday. So Luke chapter 19, I'm sure that's not how we'll talk in heaven. Luke chapter 19, verse 30 to 34. So Jesus says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And that's the end. And they just let it go. This morning, Jesus on the donkey. I wonder if we like the owner. He's prepared to have his donkey commandeered. And in quiet obedience sacrifices what's his to the king of kings and he has a key part in this story or they have a key part in this story i wonder this morning rather than the other three because it's easy to be loud it's easy to be the person that's a bit cross it's even easy to be the one that just asks insightful questions but the best person to be is the owner of the donkey because when god wanted something when jesus wanted something he said Take it. Didn't even question. The Lord needs it. Well, of course, have it all. Jesus on Palm Sunday, the best person to be, is the one that humbly says to God, take the lot, because it's all yours anyway. I'm just looking after it. Who will you be this Palm Sunday? Who will I be this Easter weekend? So Jesus is still that humble king. He's now glorified in heaven, the Bible says. He's risen from the dead. He's standing next to his father. And the Bible says he will return soon to judge the living and the dead. And we must choose this day who we will follow. He is our king, God's son, our savior. But we must also choose who we will be ourselves. So today I say to you as I finish, choose life. Choose to worship. Choose an authentic relationship with God. That is unique. Use this Easter not to go through the Easter motions. How easy it is to to have Lent and all the things that we should do and then have a big binge of chocolate on Easter Sunday or whenever it is you're supposed to do it. But go through the motions correctly. Use this time to have a fresh encounter with God. In a real way, offer your lives to him above all things. Offer your hurts and your fears, your mistakes and your angers and your brokenness and shout Hosanna. As often as you can over the next week. Because your king comes to you on a donkey. Do not fear. Do not worry. Because he is God's only son. He is the conquering king. The majesty from heaven. He is your friend and my friend. And he died on the cross and he rose again so that we could live forever. So don't just be one of the crowd, head down, hoping it doesn't get too serious. Let it get serious. And pick up your cloak and your palm and throw it down and your life as well. And say, Lord God, take the lot. You will not regret it, I promise. And we're going to sing.